0: Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode number two of Transforming Worldviews. Exciting stuff here in this second episode and this whole idea of worldviews, how you understand the world and the way the world works. It is huge. Now, in our first episode, I took you to Romans 12, chapter 2, we talked about the people in Rome who were Christians and living in the middle of a whole different culture and society, everywhere they went, everyone they saw except for their little community of believers, and how challenging it was for them and how Paul told them to be very careful about being conformed to the culture. Say, how is that working for your church? How's that working for your children, your grandchildren, people you know that are around the church, bombarded by the internet, TV, movies, the newspapers, uh, magazines, people of all different kinds and stripes of faith or unfaith or no faith or faith in stuff that's not so good or whatever. So how's that work among your community in a society that, well, maybe somewhat like Rome, maybe not as dramatically pagan, but, well, you know, something to be concerned about. So, we looked at that Romans 12, verse 2, in uh, that first episode. I'm going to look at it again now, as we uh, move into episode number two, and talk about how Christians and churches So often spend their time symptom-solving, not problem-solving. In fact, having worked with about 1,600 churches in about 77 different denominations, networks, uh, non-denominational and independent churches over the last 40 years, I have to say that most churches have most of their focus on symptom-solving not really digging down deeper and asking, what is the issue behind the issue? And when you do that, you'll find out that when you get to the transformational level, it is a lot about worldviews, influenced by the world rather than by the creator of our world and the scripture. So I want to look at this verse through different translations So Romans 12.2, let's look at the Revised Standard Version about worldview. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a complete renewal of your mind. What interests me about the Revised Standard Version is the emphasis on a complete renewal of your mind. So here we are, six days a week, away from church. Or maybe you go to something during the middle of the week, so that'd be five days a week away from church. And so, if time were the biggest leverage, then the world has us. But of course, time isn't. The Holy Spirit is, or should be. Our Bible that we read every day, I hope, is the greater leverage. And that complete renewal of our mind it doesn't mean that we can have a partial renewal of our mind, a partial biblical worldview, but God wants us to have a total, complete renewal of our mind. Now, come on, let's be honest here. Who has a complete, total, 100% renewal of their mind? Do you? I don't. I hope that I'm growing in that direction. I I think I am. I continue to work toward that. I continue to read from scripture, study scripture, learn all I can from scripture, and yet I really don't consider myself anywhere near complete. And truthfully, I don't know that that's going to happen this side of heaven for anybody. Jesus was there. But his disciples were not. His followers never got there. But they grew, just like we grow. And down through the centuries, people have grown. To complete? No, that's the goal. That's the objective. That's the marching orders. But does anybody ever arrive? I don't really think so. I don't know anybody that's perfect. Do you? If you do, you might really diagnose them because they might have a real big issue. (laughs) Here's another verse that I think is worth looking at. Beyond Romans 12, verse 2, 1 Peter 4, 1 to 2. Now, this is on the message version of the Bible. I like the message because Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message, was a professor who had expertise at a seminary level to teach both Hebrew and Greek. That's very rare. For those of us who've been through seminaries and graduate schools of seminaries, i tell you what, it's pretty rare for someone to be an expert at both Greek and Hebrew. Those kind of people are some kind of a genius I can't even understand. But I so admire him because somewhere through his life, he decided that he wanted to be a pastor. And with all of his brilliance in the languages and training future pastors, he took a congregation and he was so surprised that as he used different translations of the Bible, the people in his church were not as responsive, excited to his sermons or Bible studies, his Bible teaching, as he thought they should be. And so he decided, taking his skills that God gave him, the enormous knowledge he had about both Hebrew and Greek, the Old Testament and Hebrew, the New Testament and Greek, He started translating it in the genre of the people in his congregation, the way they talk, the way they think, just like a missionary would do translating the scripture into a new language of people they're trying to reach. He did that, which is a good idea every once in a while because language changes, and so we constantly need new translations of the scripture. Now, it's not a study Bible, the message, uh, and he says that if you read the introduction to the message version. You don't use it as a technical, but to get the flow and the meaning and the application of life, it really comes alive. I know some people criticize it because they probably don't understand the intent for which it was written. It's not written as a study Bible. If you want to do a study, get a study Bible. There are a lot of those, but this one is one that tries to connect you and intersect with your life. And so it's a kind of a a way of life kind of Bible. Anyway, this is what the message says in 1 Peter 4, 1 to 2. Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like him. Think like Jesus. Think of your sufferings as weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your way. Well, that doesn't happen much in our society, does it? Let's just stop right there and say, well, yeah, that doesn't apply to us. Oh, my goodness. Have it your way? We hear it all the time. Every commercial is about this. Uh-oh, everybody that wants our attention, everybody that wants our money speaks this way. Yeah, get in the habit of expecting to get things your way. Yeah. Even politicians who run for office. Yeah, we're going to get it your way. Get votes. In verse two, he continues, then you'll be able, once you get out of this sinful habit, sinful habit of always expecting to get it your own way, then you'll be able to live out your days free, liberated, free, to pursue what God wants, God's will, God wants, instead of being tyrannized by what you want. How do you think that fits our society? our capitalistic, consumer-oriented world we live in. And what do you think that means as a worldview? Not to want what we want, but to, like the Lord's Prayer, do God's will on earth as is in heaven. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And this is, I'm going to read from the contemporary English version of the Bible sometimes called the TEV for short, and sometimes called the Good News Bible, 1 Corinthians 2.12. But God has given us his spirit. That's why we don't think the same way that the people of this world think. We're supposed to think differently, and that means we're supposed to have a different worldview. So when I look at churches, hundreds of them that I've worked with, Like I said at the beginning, a lot of times I see people, good people, God's people, people love Jesus, but I see them focusing on symptoms and never diagnosing the situation and getting to the real issues behind the issues, the worldviews and the thinking, the way we think, not what we think, but the way we think. That's what worldview is all about. So they focus on putting out fires, So often, I see churches do this. I see good, loving God people that just are putting out fires, but never focusing on the causative issues. That would be taking the fires away from those people who are starting the fires. Now, we often make recommendations to do just that. It seems new. It seems different. It seems threatening to church leaders, but it's what God wants us to do. Help people through a worldview change. Get to the issue behind the issue. Years ago, when I was in seminary, I read books by Lyle Schaller. They weren't often on the reading list of the classes that I was taking, but the guy was talking about churches and how to make them better, and it really encouraged me to get through school. And Lyle Schaller became my hero. One day, I uh, got a letter from Lyle Schaller, and he asked if I would write a book in the series of books that he was editing for Abingdon Press called the Creative Leadership Series for the Leaders of Churches. I was absolutely blown away by that invitation. This guy was a hero for me, and I just didn't even feel qualified. So I asked him, well, what should I write about? He says, write what's on your mind and on your heart. Give me a little description, and I'll approve it, or I'll tell you to keep looking. And I did, and he approved it, and I wrote this book in that series. And the name of that book was Your Church Has Personality. Find Your Focus and Maximize Your Mission was a subtitle. But the next thing that happened is he offered to train me. He says, I know you're doing consulting. And I was a little bit at that point, just at the beginning of my consulting ministry. But, but then he said, yeah, I'll, if you want to, I'll, I'll tell you everything that I do, what I've learned, just give it away. No cost. Just show up at a certain place, in a certain church, in a certain state, and just watch. My goodness, it was just like Jesus." discipling another person. Come follow me. Yep, that's what he did. Oh, it was wonderful. It was so much help. And one of the things I'll never forget, and this is why I'm sharing the story, is that Lyle taught me to think about when you interview people in a church, you want to be peeling the onion. I thought, well, that's interesting visual for thinking about a person I'm interviewing. But he said, you know how they have the layer after layer after layer When you ask questions of a person, you're going to get the first layer. You want to go deeper at the second layer. What you learn from the way they answer the first question, you go to the second question. And then you peel that layer. And then you go to the third question that digs deeper until you get to the causative core of that person, that onion, if you will. And we train all our consultants that way. And it's brilliant. It is just a real real good way to get to the issues behind the issues in churches, and that's the way all of our consultants are trained, and what I realize is that it's a change in worldviews, often that is at the issue behind the issue, that sometimes issues are coming up in churches, very often, in fact, when the issue behind the issue is operating out of a non-biblical worldview. Not on purpose, not because we want to mess up God's kingdom or deteriorate our effectiveness of our congregation. Never because of that, but because of unconscious slippage into non-biblical worldviews, therefore making decisions that aren't best for the kingdom. It's called kingdom culture drift. And I've written a lot about that in the book I wrote called, Who Broke My Church? Well, I share a little story from my life about changing worldviews. So, one day, my wife and I bought some land, and we decided to turn it into a tree farm. So, we planted trees. And what we planted was seedlings by the thousands, actually by the tens of thousands over years. And it's kind of a project to produce timber that will not be available in our lifetime. But our children are the inheritors of that. And they will sell those trees. But we have a commitment that 50% of the proceeds will go to missions. And meanwhile, we get to watch them grow. But when we plant these trees as seedlings, we'll come back the next year and we plant them in rows and so we go down the row and we'll find a spot where there's no tree. There's supposed to be a tree every so many feet and we get to a place there's no tree. So being neophytes without the complete worldview of understanding how trees work, we plant another tree in that spot. So we did replacement trees every year. Then we come back the third year and there would be the tree that we planted and then there would be another tree where we didn't see anything but a dead stem the year before. And what we learned is trees grow from their roots, which we ought to know. But what I didn't know is that the top can die, but the roots can be alive. And so it changed my worldview and now, of course, in our plantations from the early days, we've got a number of places where there are two healthy trees, and we're going to have to cut one out because they're too close together. Live and learn, got a new worldview. Now, what's really interesting is that we plant these trees in fields, and trees that grow up in a woods are always trying to reach the sunlight. So trees in the woods naturally grow straight. But when you plant them in a field that's not yet a woods and they're all small and they're a few feet apart, there is no pull of the sun to make them grow straight. So they tend to want to grow like a bush. So you prune away what you can, but sometimes the leader that's left, that's what they call it, that one that's the straightest, it still grows crooked. So what happens... Four or five years later, when you come by, and there's a four-foot tree, but it's so crooked, it's just never going to straighten up. It's so far over center, it will never live to be a healthy tree. What do you do? Well, a tree consultant told me, you just coppice it. That's the word they use. It's called coppicing. You coppice the tree. The word coppice is Latin for cut the head off. So what you do is you take some loppers and cut this four-foot tree off right at the ground. Again, that's because the worldview is that it's the roots that matter, not the top. And so you cut it off. It might be four feet tall. You cut it off because it's just not straight. And that's a hard thing to do because you have been pruning these for three years now, or four years, or five years. And anyway, you, you cut it off, but the next year in one year, it grows all three, four, five feet tall, straight as an arrow. Why? Because the worldview, strength, life, comes from the roots. Now, think about that as a worldview. The root understandings you have from the Bible, from God, the root teachings of Jesus, those roots are the core for straight living, for straight life, for a straight path to eternity, oh man, you can do a lot with that if you're a preacher, I'll tell you that. Oh, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Well, several years ago, we at Church Doctor Ministries began designing instruments to measure all kinds of things that ail churches, and we have all sorts of surveys that we have developed, field-tested, refined, improved, and massaged, and, and now they're really good Instruments, And we've got dozens of them because we use them when we consult churches. One of the instruments that we have is a Discover Your Windows questionnaire. We actually use this questionnaire sometimes, especially if we're working with a church that is doing a Discover Your Windows workshop. We'll, we'll send this ahead of time and get some data on the people. And then we'll come on a Saturday and do a Discover Your Windows workshop. And uh, it's really interesting uh, and then sometimes pastors will use that discover your Windows questionnaire when they're doing a ten week series of teaching, and people are reading the ten chapters in the book Discover your windows but anyway, this survey is really really interesting because it lets people weigh in on multiple choice answers to questions and I tell you what it's pretty pretty interesting what people uh, you, you just, it's, it's not real encouraging that, you know, if you're the pastor and you've been preaching to these people all these years, there's some basic biblical worldviews. And what we're talking about by when we discover what these people are thinking, and they're anonymous questionnaires, so we don't pick on anybody individually or put them on the spot or hurt anybody's feelings, but when we, when we certainly get their attention when they do this survey, because when you learn where they get biblical answers or they don't know the biblical answer on a multiple answers to, a, to an issue, then you're dealing with the roots, <laughs> yeah, like the roots of the tree. And it just really gets to the heart of matters right away. Honestly, I don't know why every church wouldn't do this. If I was a pastor of a church, this is exactly where I'd start. I mean, I'd get this in a heartbeat and do it. And again, I'm not trying to sell you a survey or anything like that, but I'm just saying we really need to get to the root of the things, get to the causes of issues, and that's the worldviews. So here's the deal. In your church, the windows of people, their worldviews, wherever they are on any particular issue, they're hidden like the roots under the ground, but they drive behavior. They produce some kind of fruit, good or bad, straight or crooked, and If you're just trying to prune the top, it doesn't change. But if you go and get to the roots and you straighten it out, then you you just wouldn't believe the health and vitality that brings to the church. And so it's just so different. So in the first congregation in the United States that I was a pastor, was in Detroit, in the city of Detroit, in the inner city. We had uh, uh, an African-American community, but an all-white church when I first got there anyway. It changed and it grew, and but people had to have some worldview training first. That took about three years, maybe four. But then, you know, it, it actually, the culture of the church changed. But it took some mission work, mission vision, some biblical teaching. But in the meantime, when we were first being able to reach out in the community and actually get some African Americans to come to this Anglo church, uh, I can remember one day I got in the pulpit And I looked out, and there were three African-American boys sitting in one of the pews, church had pews back then, and they all were wearing hats indoors in church. Now, I knew when I looked at them two things. Number one, I knew that the culture of young African-American boys in Detroit at that time in history was such that they wore caps, like baseball caps, inside, it was part of their culture. In fact, the Detroit public school system studied this. Is this an offense to the teacher? Is this some way of showing disrespect to the school? And they learned, no, this is a cultural nuance. It's just like if you're on a mission field, you know, people might come barefoot to church. So what you do is they learned the culture and they said, you know what? In the Detroit public school system, African-American boys can wear hats inside because it's part of their culture. It is not a negative thing. It just is part of their culture. So we want to honor and respect that. They'll learn more in school if we show them some respect. So I got it right away. But as I looked from the pulpit, right behind those three boys were two of our elderly women. And I knew I was going to get it when I shook hands at the door from these ladies I just knew that I knew they weren't going to say, wasn't it great that these three African-American boys were in church? We're making progress, Pastor. We're reaching people for Jesus. Nope. (laughs) I just knew that wasn't going to be it. Why, those disrespectful boys, Pastor. (laughs) What is that? That is a worldview. That is a worldview. And I didn't blame those ladies I know. They didn't have that worldview, but I was going to work on it with them, I'll tell you that. I wasn't going to deal with and argue with them about the school district or whatever. I wasn't going to try to give them a lesson in missiology there at the door. I wasn't going to make them feel like they were out of whack and less Christian than somebody who'd get it right, or they were dealing with mission stuff that they didn't know about. So that was a conversation we would have over coffee and cookies sometime in private and it was going to be soft and it was going to be pleasurable and it was going to be world changing for those ladies. You see how worldviews are so amazing? Well, I want to share with you about a mission trip I took and it's a great way to broaden your worldview anytime you go to another culture. I was in Nigeria And I was invited to uh, preach at this new church, a new mission. So in my worldview, I thought, oh, sure. It's Sunday. All the people on the team that I brought were going to different churches and preaching. My wife and I would go to this one. The pastor would pick us up at the hotel, drive us there. And this church was only a year old. And I thought, yeah, okay, there's maybe, you know, a few people there. That's okay. I'm not proud. I'll I don't have to go to a giant church. And uh, so I walk in there and there are 2,000 people sitting on wooden benches with no backs in a place with no windows, no air current, no air conditioning, no toilets, no anything, about 120 degrees, 2,000 people. And they had a three-hour worship service. And this church was less than a year old. Would that change your worldview? <laughs> It sure got mine. And there was another worldview change for my wife. My wife, as she came in the door, a lady came up to her and very politely said, In our church, the women cover their heads because of the cover the head thing in the scripture. And so they took a paper clip and a piece of a paper towel and pinned it to the top of her head. And being a good missionary, my wife said, thank you. That'll be just fine. And that's what having a mission culture is all about. No big deal. Oh, yes, really a big deal. Worldviews are always a big deal. And why would you want to sit up there on the platform as my wife and show disrespect to those people? Once in Kenya, in a different African nation. (laughs) I was teaching all week at this conference with about 2,000 pastors, and we lived at the pastor's house, and every day for lunch and dinner, beans and rice, beans and rice, every day. That's what they had. So it was good, but about 12 days in a row. When we were finally done, pastor was celebrating. He said, how about we get some African fast food? I said, oh, that'd be great. That'd be just really great. Anything but beans and rice, I thought. But pastor took us to a place for African fast food. We walked into this little eh, 20-foot by 20-foot place. There were sides of goat hanging from the ceiling with flies on them. And over in the corner was a barbecue pit. And we ordered our goat. It went on to the flames. It got cooked. And we had some African fast food. That'll change your worldview a little bit about fast food. (laughs) I remember in another place in Africa, my last story, my friend Uma Ukpai in Southern Africa was preaching and afterwards asked if anyone wanted prayer to come forward. People flocked. But the first people there came up, a man and his wife, husband and wife came with their daughter little girl, maybe 10, 12, somewhere in there, and it was very clear she was blind. And as he asked them about the daughter, they said she was born blind, and he said, um, I'm going to pray for her to be healed, to be able to see. So he did, and we were about 10 feet away on the platform, my wife and I, and the little girl received her sight, first time in 12 years. First thing she did is she put her hand up to her mother's face. Because before, all she did is feel her mother's face. Now she could see it and feel it at the same time and translate the feeling to sight. Before that, I don't know, I guess I believed in miracles like that happening. Maybe, maybe little ones. It changed my worldview. I'm a little embarrassed to say that. I'm a little nervous to say that. You might think I'm some weirdo, depending on what your worldview is. But I'll tell you this, worldviews make a huge difference. And when worldviews change, people say in transformational language, I'm a different person. So churches are filled with transactional programs, but God wants us to work on transformational change. Transaction is like putting a ladder against the wall. Transformation is making sure first it's the right wall. God bless you. Come on back to episode three. We're going to have a great time. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.